All right, some of that should look familiar to the things that we talked about last week, because that's the, uh, the idea that we're, we looked at and that we're going to be looking at, this idea that, that God gives good things, and then over the course of time and because of sin and, and other things that come into the picture, they get twisted, and they don't look like, like what God intended when, we, when he gave them to us. But the good news about that video is that there's hope, because those things don't have to stay twisted. That knife might not ever be straight again, but the same thing isn't true for our lives and for the gifts that God gives us. Yesterday, I was eating lunch and uh, just minding my own business, and the doorbell rang, which doesn't happen that often for me. It's not like a bad thing. That's just the way that it is. And I went to see who was there. I thought there would be a little kid selling candy or, or something like that, and it was my male lady, male person, or my male person, who... Uh, I, maybe I thought was bringing me a package or something. I got kind of excited, you know. And I opened the door and I looked at her hand and I didn't see a package. Instead, I saw my tax forms or the envelope that I put the tax forms in. And it was kind of an oversized envelope and I didn't put enough postage on it. And I saw the little thing there, it said 56 cents. I had to give them 56 more cents. But when I saw that, my heart started racing. Oh no, I didn't pay my taxes. And I said, oh, I, I, I put it in the mail a week ago. I did everything that I was supposed to do. But when this problem came up about money, all of a sudden my heart started beating faster and things started just going quickly. I got all worried. And the same thing happens whenever money comes up, it seems like. And Jesus talks a great deal about money. I've heard people say that he talks more about money than anything else. Now, I don't know if that's true, but he does give us a number of examples of, of money in the Bible. He says things like, blessed are the poor. He talks incessantly about giving to the needy. He talks about a hidden pearl that we sell everything to go and find. The same thing with a hidden treasure. He talks about a lost coin, a coin that's in a fish's mouth. He has a discussion with the rich young ruler. He talks about workers earning their wages. He goes in and cleans the temple and says, this is not a den of thieves. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He talks about swearing by the gold of the temple. He talks about tithing. He talks about talents. And finally, the last lesson that we get about money in the Gospels has to do with the 30 pieces of silver. Now here we have these men who've listened to all these different things that Jesus talks about. Yet in the end, money plays a part of why Jesus is betrayed. Now, is money bad? No, money can do all kinds of good things. And having money isn't bad. And I'm sure you've heard this before, but the problem comes in when the money has us. See, we're talking about how things get twisted. And like it said in the video, when we take our eyes off of God in relation to money, it can easily get twisted. See, money becomes greed when we take our focus off of God. Now, that's any amount of money. You say, I don't have any money at all. But you do have some money. And in fact, in Timothy chapter 6, he doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It actually says the love of money or the want of money is the root of all kinds of evil. See, it doesn't matter how much we have or how much we don't have. It matters where our heart is. So we're going to talk about this morning. Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you brought us here together, and I thank you for your word that teaches us about the way that things work, the way that, that things happen in life, and the things that we, we need to watch out for, the things that we need to look out for, and, and where our focus needs to be. Lord, help our focus to be on you this morning as we go through your word, as we learn about you, as we try to get closer to the idea that, that you had when, when you gave us money. With each person here this morning, open their hearts, open their minds, and open their ears to what you tell them, and, and be with me. I ask that it's not my words up here this morning, but it's yours. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 16. And in Luke chapter 16, we find what I think is one of the most confusing parables there, there is. I've heard lots of people talk about money, and it wasn't until very recently that I heard anyone use this parable because it just, there's something about it that just makes us think that can't be right. That can't be, that can't be the way that, that things really work. And the first thing I want to do is just read through it as a story, and just so you get the idea and you can see why I have just a little bit of a problem accepting this when I first read it. It's called the parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. And I like in the message version it says, now here's a surprise, just in case the, the words themselves weren't enough. So here's the surprise. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. When you just hear that, you think to yourself, wait a minute, what? The master commends the manager. He says, good job. Way to just throw my stuff away. Congratulations. You did a good job. Yet that's what Jesus says here. That's, that's the moral of the parable. So what does this mean? What is, what is he really saying? The first thing that we need to look at here is that the parable, the subject of the parable, the person that we need to relate to in this parable is the manager. And it's important that we look at the fact that he is a manager. The money that he's dealing with here, that ain't his. He didn't work to earn that money. He doesn't have any stake in where that money goes afterwards. When he got this job, he didn't bring any money with him. And when he leaves this job, he's not taking any of that money with him either. See, money is from God. And if we look at ourselves as managers of money and not havers of money, not owners of money, we start to, to get an understanding of what's going on here. And just like the manager, 
didn't bring any money with him to the job and isn't taking any money with him when he leaves the job. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, it says, For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. All the money that comes to us in this life is not ours. We didn't bring it with us, and we're not taking it with us when we go. If we want to understand this parable and put ourselves in this, find out what Jesus was telling the people there, we need to look at money the same way that the manager does. That the money comes in isn't ours. It's God's. And this is, this is a tough thing to swallow. Because we, we like to think that it's ours. I worked for it. I earned it. But really, when you, you take one more step back... <clears throat> Who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the strong back to do the work? Or who gave you the strong mind to do the work? God did. And when we make decisions at the church about money, we're extra careful because we know that it's God's money and we have to be very careful with it and do what God wants us to do with it. Unfortunately, I, I can't say that it's always the same thing when I think that I'm dealing with my money. It's a lot easier to misspend my money than it is God's money. It's important for us to remember that money is from God, and it, it's really all God's money. The next thing that we need to look at is, is what's going on. And the first thing we find out is the manager is losing his job. The first thing I want to point out is there is no other job. There is no other job. Because if we think there's another job, that, this is where I get confused. Because I always have this picture in my mind of the manager goes and he's dealing with his boss's clients. And he calls the guys in and he's giving them discounts and, and having their bills and stuff. Because he wants to get another job with these guys. And this is where the story goes haywire for me, because I picture him with the first guy, who he cut his bill in half. And he goes in for a job interview, and he's got his shirt all buttoned up and his tie on nice and straight. And he says to the guy, all right, I'm here for the job opening that you have. And the guy, the guy says to him, well, why should I hire you? And he says, well, remember, I cut your bill in half. Come on, you owe me. And I picture the manager saying to him, the, the client, the debtor here saying to him, that's exactly why I'm not going to hire you. You threw half of that guy's money away. Why am I going to let you throw half of my money away? But if we look in verses 2 and 3, the manager's not looking for another job. He says, I'm too old to dig and I'm too proud to beg. This is it for him. His working days are over. And see, this parable isn't about a job. It's not about just another day in life. This is about life in general. When this manager's job is over, he's done. We can look at that as representing death. So everything that this manager does while he's still at this job is everything that we need to think about what we're going to do with the rest of our lives. So what does the manager do? He brings in his boss's clients and he cuts the first guy's bill in half and he knocks 200 bushels of wheat 
off the next guy's bill. What is going on here? Next thing we need to think about is that money is for God. And this happens in two different ways. Manager's gone out and given away money that wasn't his. So why is he commended? Why congratulate this guy for wasting money? He wasn't wasting it. He was using it. He was using it to gain friends, to gain influence, to make connections. Verse 9 says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Part of using money for God means giving it to God through other people. There's two ways to do this. The first one is kind of the classic way that we do this. And it's something that in some cases Christians are really good at. In other cases, Christians could use some work on. But in this case is, is what we talked about Jesus earlier. It's giving to the people who really need it. This is the first way that we use our money for God, by giving it to those people who really need it. And this is what Jesus talks about over and over and over again. He talks about giving to the least of these. When you see someone that's hungry, you're seeing Jesus hungry. Give, give back to Jesus. And sometimes we can be really good at this. I think that this church does a good job of that, of helping out people in need. And the outreach center down the street does a great job of that. They see people in need, and they make the proper steps to not just give them food, but to help them to get to where they need to be. And they do a great job of that. And this is something that I think Christians can take just a little bit of pride in. The good kind of pride, not the bad kind of pride. Because we're doing what God wants us to do with God's money. But that's not really what this parable is about. There's another way that we give money back to God through other people. Because the debtors here, when we look at the, the amounts of stuff, 800 gallons of olive oil, this isn't just some guy off the street. <clears throat> A thousand bushels of wheat, the average Jew in those days did not have a thousand bushels of wheat and would not get into debt for a thousand bushels of wheat. These were businessmen. These were guys who were traders. They were doing business. And this is part of business, that you borrow from somebody and give it to somebody else, and then you make a profit and give back. These are kind of the well-to-do people. And here we see Jesus telling a parable that's basically saying, use your money and give it to people who don't need it? And the key to this is, is in the friends and the influence idea. Because even those people might have money, might be well-to-do, might run businesses, that's not their only need. Because we know that we have something for them that, that has nothing to do with money, but is is better than money. And in order to do that, in order to get to that position, you need to, to have a relationship with these people. You need to have communication with these people. And you can do that with money. And that's one of the reasons that God gives us money. You say, well, what are you talking about? What do you mean? 
Cassie works in a restaurant, so I get to hear stories about things that happen in restaurants. And all the servers that are there, the waiters and the waitresses, I know that they don't like to be called that anymore, but the servers that work there, no one wants to work Sunday afternoon. It's the worst shift of the week because you work the hardest and you make the least amount of money. Why is that? Ask any server out there, it's because all the Christians leave church and go out to lunch and they want everything and they want it now and they want it exactly right and they don't give you a big tip. You're lucky if you get a 10% tip on a bill. And if you go in there and think, oh, they don't know that I'm a Christian or they don't think that way, you're wrong, because they do. Get to know a server and ask them about Sunday afternoons. I've heard it from Cassie, I've heard it from other people. Every restaurant that's out there hates Sunday afternoons because Christians are cheap. Christians are cheap. That's the message that we've been giving for years and years and years on Sunday afternoons after church. And guess what? There's servers out there who are getting stiffed on their bills and hardly getting any tip and we're telling them, oh, my drink is slightly too warm. Please bring me another one with more ice in it. These are the people that we should be witnessing to. These are the people that we need to, to have us look at them and say, wow, that's somebody that I want to be like. That's somebody that, that I want to get to know because they gave me a little bit more than I really deserved. We need to be known as generous people, not cheap people. And this is, it's a funny thing. We can laugh and say, oh, Christians are cheap. But, you know, there's a reason why those servers are working on Sunday afternoon and not at church on Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning. Because they say, well, I need this money more than I need to be like those people. And that's just one example. I don't know if you've seen this, but there are tracks out there that it's called the million dollar bill. And it looks just like our money, except it says it's worth a million dollars. And I've heard people say, oh, that these things are great because you can leave just the corner of it sticking out of the ATM or you can leave one sitting on the ground. And someone sees it and says, oh, look, money, and they pick it up, and oh, look, they found Jesus. No. <laughs> they pick it up and say, oh, money, what is this garbage? And they crumble it up and throw it away. Nothing makes people more angry than thinking that they have money and then uh, taking it away. So if you're giving someone a million dollar bill track to think, oh, they're gonna find something better than money, guess what? You just made them think, those Christians are so cheap. Look at this, they're trying to rip me off by giving me fake money. God calls us to use our money to gain friends and gain influence because we have an ultimate goal. We have eternal dwellings, as it says in verse nine that no money can buy. The other way that money is for God is through the church. And this is actually somewhat fun to talk about because we don't need your money. We don't. 
We've, you guys know what's going on here and know the things that are fine. We've got money in the bank. It's all taken care of. We don't need your money. I don't have to stand up here and say, I need you to start giving more money or we're going to close the doors. That's not the case. In fact, I think when churches say, we need your money or else the doors are going to close, or we need your money or else we can't buy the new jet plane that we want to buy, that's a terrible reason to give money. It's a terrible reason to give money because it doesn't, shouldn't have anything to do with what the church needs or doesn't need. It has to do with you and God and your heart and the relationship that's there. There's a concept of tithing that's introduced in the Old Testament. It's actually in Leviticus chapter, seven, chapter 27, verse 30. It says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And many people say that this no longer applies. That was an Old Testament thing, and in the New Testament, that's not the case. I think this is just because people don't want to do it. Because people like having their money in their pockets. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And almost just as an aside, off to the side, he says, you guys tithe and you do a great job of that, but you're missing out on these other things. He says, you should keep doing the former. You should keep tithing, but don't stop doing the other things. It's right there. Jesus says it like he didn't even need to think about it because it's so basic. It's already there. It's laid out. That this is something that, that we need to do. This is foundational. He says you need to start with the tithe and then build on that. And so many times we don't do that. Instead, we think, oh, well, I'm not a good enough person to do that. Or, or once I get everything else in line, then I'll do that. But it comes down to where our focus is and where our faith is. God wants us to put him first. He wants our focus to be on him. And then everything else. If we look back to Leviticus, it says that these things already belong to the Lord. It doesn't say that they're owed to the Lord. It doesn't say we should give them because we want to say thank you. It says they belong to him. That's the way that it is. And really comes down to a matter of, of trust. How much do you trust God? Enough to say as soon as money comes in, this is the money that I want to give to God? Or do we say, oh, if there's any left after I take care of me, then, then I'll give what's left to God. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was taking up the offering here. And I'm going to be honest and say that's not something I normally like to do. But that week, it was the best offering collecting experience that I've ever had. Because it was the first time I've ever seen someone so anxious to put money in the offering plate that they put it in the communion dish when it came by. It was the most incredible thing that I've ever seen. Because they were so excited to give God their money. They had just been waiting for this opportunity to give money to God that they put it right there in the, offer, in the communion dish. It was wonderful. 
And that's the way that, that it should be when we come to church. We've already decided this is what I'm giving to God. This is just our opportunity to do it. And instead, too many times, we see that offering plate coming, and all of a sudden it's, oh, no, what do I have to give to God today? I, oh, I need that for lunch. Oh, I need that. There's nothing left. Because we didn't look to God first. And that's where the focus idea comes in. Where is our focus? Do we look at God first and then at me? Or, or are we looking at other things? Are we looking at, well, I really need some good food for lunch today, so we'll go out somewhere a little nicer. Or I've been saving up for a new television, for new shoes, for a new car. Do we take God and give him his portion first? And that's where the focus is, because if we don't stay focused on God, when all that other stuff, that other dirt starts coming into our lives, we're going to lose that focus and instead focus on ourselves. Do we look to ourselves first or to God first? Do we take care of ourselves or do we trust God to take care of us? And, and again, it goes on here in the parable. It doesn't matter how much money we're talking about. In verse 10 it says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. It doesn't matter how much money we have. And I've been on both sides of the spectrum to come into church on Sunday and say, wow, this is a lot of money that I'm putting in the offering plate. And I've been on the other side and say, wow, this isn't that much money. And both times I was giving a percentage of what I made. Both times it was the same percentage. And it's no easier to be making a lot of money and give a percentage to God than it is to be making next to nothing and give a percentage to God. Because you're still giving to God before you're giving to yourself. When we think about money, we think about amounts. When God thinks about money, he thinks about our hearts. And he thinks about order. Who's first? Are we putting God first? Or are we putting ourselves first? What is important is that we're focused on God. Any amount of money becomes greed when we take our focus off of God. So this week, I want to challenge you with two things. Every time you pull out your checkbook, every time you pull out your wallet, your credit card, who are you thinking about? Are you thinking about God, or are you thinking about you? And here's the great thing. If as soon as money comes in, you take God off the top, set that aside, then when you pull out your wallet, you can say, all right, now I can maybe think about me a little bit, because I've already taken care of God. But if we don't do that, then we're leaving God for the end. So the first thing, I want you to keep God in your money decisions this week. Just think about it. Think about what, you know, what would God want me to do with this money? Am I honoring him with what I'm doing? Secondly, spend some money on a friendship. A friendship that's already there. A friendship that, that doesn't exist yet. But take some money and spend it on a friendship. That's the example that we're given here in the parable. To spend money to gain influence with people. Because in the end, that's 
That's a way to win them to God. Jim's going to come forward and lead us in a closing song. And this is not something that we talk about often here. Money is not something that we bring up every other Sunday. But it's important. It's foundational for our faith. If we can trust God with our eternal salvation, why can't we trust him with our pocketbooks?